Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at trustmark.com. Member FDIC. Good morning. It's 830. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, tonight's presidential debate is one of the most anticipated in decades. We'll have a preview. Then first responders in Mississippi get new training that could save lives. Later, a visit from the experts of everyday tech on iDevices. And is your child safe in the car seat he or she is riding in? Three out of four car seats are installed incorrectly. And, you know, we do know that it's not easy. I know as a mom of two boys myself, when I first went looking for a car seat for my oldest, I was kind of amazed by all the different styles and the different sizes and the different ways to install them. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi and the rest of the nation will have a chance to watch Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump square off tonight in the first of three televised debates. The presidential election is just a little more than a month away on November 8th. Pre-election polls have tightened over recent weeks, and the race between the former Secretary of State and Senator from New York and the billionaire businessman is being watched by the world. The debate starts at 8 o'clock tonight at Hofstra University on Long Island. With us this morning to preview tonight's debate, is Kenneth Townsend, political science professor from Millsaps College in Jackson. Good morning, Kenneth. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Karen. Good to be here as always. All right. So the race has tightened up uh, almost even by some standards, by some poll results. How important is this debate tonight? I'd say this is a very important debate. As you've noted, things have tightened up a lot. Most polls show a very slim edge for Clinton at this point, but very slim. We have a larger chunk of voters who are undecided this uh, election than is usually the case at this point in the process. And so this debate has a lot of potential to make a difference. You think it could change minds or solidify uh, what people are thinking about those undecideds? I think for the undecideds, it likely will. I don't think that the debate is likely to have much of an effect for those who have already made up their mind. Why do you think that's the case? Well, because the fact is there's been a lot of information already out there on both candidates up to this point. They're both fairly well-known candidates, but we still have about 15 to 20 percent of the electorate, by many estimates, who are undecided. And it makes you wonder, what are they waiting on, right? If they haven't already made up their minds at this point, what is it that can make up their minds? And a debate between the two, head-to-head, seems about as good a chance as anything. Because certainly these two candidates have talked a lot about each other. Yes, they have. Uh So it is of particular interest to see how they'll talk about each other tonight on the same stage. I know. This is really, I would say, unprecedented. That might be a little bit of a a stretch, but I don't know that it is to see candidates who have said such um, tough things about one another and who have such a history and have maybe at one point in time been friends. And it's a strange, strange election that we find ourselves in. Each candidate has a bit of discomfort Mm -hmm. when in front of people um, in the debate setting, certainly. 
What do you think this indicates about their performance, what they each have to do in order to appeal to voters? Right. So for Clinton, her uh, biggest concern, I think, is to come across as likable. She is um, very competent with policy or exudes that in many ways. She likes talking about statistics and details, specific proposals. But her biggest liability often is just not seeming likable or relatable. And so that's going to be a key for her. How can she feel relatable to voters? Trump, I think he's going to have to show that he is somewhat competent because he has this sort of – Charisma, at least according to his followers, he is tapped into some anger and energies and so forth, but he doesn't always have specific proposals or details to support his claims. And so he is going to have to uh, provide some of those specifics. So in many ways, they're going to have to try to emulate some of the positive attributes of the other candidates. We've heard uh, from various sources that there is concern about him, whether he goes shoot from the hip, which he's known for, which has appealed to a number of his voting base, or whether he sticks more to a uh, pre-planned script or, or, you know, set answers, that sort of thing. Right. I think that in many ways is one of the dilemmas that Trump faces with the rest of this election, because what appeals to many voters about Trump is this shoot from the hip, ad hoc approach. But he can't cross the finish line and win by simply doing that. He does have to be disciplined. He does have to appeal to groups that he's not yet appealed to. He has to be able to show that he is competent to be president. And I think that he has a fine line to walk because the less he shoots from the hip, the more focused he is, the more polished he is, the less likely his strong supporters are going to continue to feel strongly about him. So he's got a dilemma, I think. Hillary Clinton will surely face questions regarding emails and Benghazi, uh, more than likely. What does she have to say? Because she's been asked those questions ad nauseum. Right. I think that she, well, one thing from her perspective, she's got plenty of practice answering those questions, as you uh, just acknowledged. So I don't think she's particularly worried about that. I think that, that she will give similar answers to what she's given before and and hope to move the conversation on to something else, uh, because that, as you've noted, has been discussed a fair bit already. As you said, this debate is expected to possibly be the most watched ever. Right. Every network Every television outlet is carrying this debate. Social media, there are some platforms that will carry, it will stream it live. I've heard that it may be Super Bowl equivalent in terms of viewers. Yeah, which I guess that's a silver lining. In many ways, this election has not been one that inspires confidence um, in many people. It doesn't seem to be our democracy working at its best, um, at least from my vantage point. If one side effect is that we have close to 100 million people watching a presidential debate, then I guess that's that, that's something to be optimistic about. People are engaged. Kenneth Talzin, uh, thank you so much for being with us. And a reminder that you can listen to the presidential debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump tonight on MPB Think Radio. Up next, some first responders in Mississippi get new training that could save lives. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
A $2 million grant from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security may help Mississippi's first responders handle emergencies. The enhanced emergency communication plan paid for by the grant is being implemented by the University of Mississippi Medical Center, which is working on a pilot project to improve medical care in rural communities in Mississippi. The program will help merge the state's radio public safety system with training for first responders in rural areas. Dr. Damon Darcy of UMS. MC tells MPB's Desiree Frazier it will help non-medical professionals provide life-saving information during emergencies. This program was developed uh, three or four years in the process of uh, looking at programs that we currently have and training first responders and emergency responders across the state. And during this process, we realized that there was a great need to uh, really highlight the state-of-the-art radio system we have here called MISWIN, now with almost 30,000 users. How do we take what we have in technology, combine it with the ability to communicate uh, over the air and train providers in rural Mississippi, many of which are non-professional responders, meaning they're not paramedics and EMTs, they're first responders or sheriff's deputies or police officers or volunteer firemen, uh, to have basic medical need care to provide that basic first-hand touch of a patient and then provide education on how to use available communications new communications at times to get back and and communicate what they see and what they hear. How will the $2 million help? Because this is an existing program, so it's not like you're creating one from ground up. It's a combination of programs. Um, So the the actual, um, the the model is um, using uh, existing training to add to existing communications. So the merger of the two is new. Um, This money will help us go and provide uh, the training out there in the field, but also provide uh, some limited equipment, but mainly uh, to figure out how do we take this as, as the next step? How do we figure out how to better use radio communications uh, for medical coverage? Most radio communications currently are used uh, to get the providers to the scene of an accident or illness. Um, we're trying to figure out how to take that technology and use it to help those once on scene provide a a better or higher level of care once once arrived on scene. Were you working with rural first responders at all prior to this? We are. We are medical service had a very robust program uh, working with first responders, whether it's training police to use tourniquets, uh, to t- teaching landing zone classes for helicopters, to uh, doing you know, ad hoc classes here and there at the request of these, these providers. This will be a first consolidated effort to reach statewide to our providers out there in, in the in the rural communities. Do they all have this radio technology? They all don't, and that's part of the thing. Uh, that's part of what we're going to learn. How do we bridge those without access to funds or technology? How do we how do we take this program to them, looking at special ways, phone apps, um, and other programs to be able to allow those providers that don't have access to the radio system uh, called MISWIN, how do we how do we touch them as well? So it's a what we call interoperable system. We can use multiple different levels of, of communication to accomplish the same thing. Is there enough money to provide those that don't have it with the equipment? Well, when we find equipment, it will be more of a technology, whether it's a phone app or other things. We're still looking at ideas on how to provide that level of coverage. But there's not enough money, of course, for everyone to provide everything. It's, it's going to be mainly a fact-finding demonstration project and seeing if it could work for those areas that don't. For instance, let's say a small rural volunteer fire department uh, has no means of communication. Uh, Let's look at what they have and try to make a patchwork to get them communicating 
or provide them data to justify getting an improved radio system, whether it's federal funding, state funding, grants, or otherwise. Is there any medical training involved? Yeah, there is. There's a small component of medical training looking at what really what can you really see and communicate downstream? What can you communicate to the emergency responders that makes a difference? Um, conditions of patients, how to communicate what, uh, what you see. Oftentimes, there's a communication barrier from those that arrive first on scene to those um, that are back in the emergency room. The the differences are pretty vast oftentimes because oftentimes the terminology is different. So what we do is we take what we want to know in the receiving end to hospital and then translate that back out to what could be vital. For instance, an elderly patient in a trauma, asking them a couple questions about on blood thinners. Are you on blood thinners? Are you not? Those are questions that if determined early could be absolutely life-saving going down the line. Currently, we don't find out about that typically until the professional responders arrive on scene or the patient arrives at the hospital. So this gives us the, the extra uh, as an example, an extra layer of knowledge that we can get often minutes before the professional guys arrive on scene. MPB's Desiree Fraser with Dr. Damon Darcy of UMMC on a new program to help first responders in rural, rural parts of the state. Up next, a visit from the experts of Everyday Tech on iDevices. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. MPB is getting its very own car tag. But first, we need your help. To begin production, we need 300 of you to say yes to the tag. Go to mpbonline.org slash car tag for more information and also to sign up. A portion of the fee goes to help MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. Thanks for your help, and we'll see you on the road. Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. Good morning. I'm Sharita Brent in studio with Ashley Jeffcoat, Digital Media Director for MPB. And today we're going to talk about iDevices. Ashley, you are a heavy iDevice user. You have an iPhone, an iPad. What else do you have that's iRelated? I have a MacBook. (laughs) iComputer. An (laughs) iComputer. I have a MacBook and an iMac. I have one of their large cinema displays from Mm -hmm. Apple. I think that's everything. So we're going to talk about the new iPhone 7 that is rumored to come out. What have you heard about this, and do you think it's going to happen? Um, oh, I mean, it's definitely going to happen. Apple mm-hmm. announces a new phone every year. On odd years, you get an S version, and in even years, you get a new number. Oh. So we will be seeing the iPhone 7 this year. That's just how it goes. We know that it's coming. That Apple announces it every fall. So it's probably just a matter of a couple of months before we actually get word from Apple. Of course, officially, they've said nothing about it because they never do mm-hmm. until it's almost ready to be available for sale. So we'll know a couple of weeks before it's actually going to be available to buy. Um, They have been doing a lot of stuff where they're announcing things the day it's ready to purchase in the store. So who knows? So do you think that people should always get hyped up when a new device comes out? Because typically they may be changing one or two features. Or do you think it's worth the upgrade? It really depends on when your last upgrade was. Because most people are on a two-year contract with their phones, which means you're paying for your phone over those two years, by the time your two-year contract is up, it's time to upgrade. Mm. At which point, you are looking at probably a pretty significant upgrade. 
for your phone. You're usually either on the an S year or a number year. And so every two years you get the new of whatever those are. That's how a lot of Mac people and a lot of Apple people update their phones. That it's not something I would say get hyped about. Get excited because it is fun to see what new stuff they're going to come out with. And that's true in any tech device. It doesn't matter what it is. I always get excited to see what Samsung's doing with their next Galaxy or what the newest um, PlayStation's going to have on it. I always get excited about anything that's new, but that's me. Hmm. But I think it's definitely get excited about it, but don't don't like try to jump on the hype train. I mean, if you really want to go camp out in front of the Apple store, I can't stop you, yeah. but you don't need to. It's there, there's going to be plenty of phones to go around. <laughs> now, for some people, the alternative to upgrading to a new phone completely is to update the current system that they have. And I, I often see mixed reactions on that. Some people up, update and they say, oh, I don't like these new features. And some people are afraid to update because of fear of losing things. Uh, but what are your thoughts on updating things from a technical standpoint? Do you think it's good? Because sometimes they may have fixed certain defects and things. Yeah, so there's really good reasons to update and also really good reasons not to. So you can look at it as a pro-con kind of thing. And in my opinion, I think the pros outweigh the cons in most circumstances. So for pros, you have updated security features. Almost any time any update is issued, even if it's just a minor one, all the way up to the big, 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 big numbered updates, you're looking at security improvements, fixing loopholes, fixing security holes, making the phone that you have safer and um, less viable to attack. That's a big thing. You're looking at, as a pro, new features for your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, this could be in the form of new apps, new um, functionality in existing apps. You could be looking at a new and improved UI. So that's the um, interface that you deal with. And even if you might not like the changes, the reason they make those is often to create a better user experience. So you might be like, oh, change. I don't like change. Yeah. But the more you get to use it, you're like, okay, you know, this is actually a little bit easier mm-hmm. than I thought it would be. It's different. But once I get into it, it's actually a lot easier to use it this way. From a con perspective, if you have an older phone, updating it can cause a lot of problems because they are making sure that the updates work on several different models going backwards. But it's really only going to work best on the latest phone. Gotcha. You're not going to have as much memory as those phones. You're not going to have as fast a processor as those phones that are running it at optimal speed. So it might make your phone run a little bit slow. It might make your, um, if your phone is two or three models out, it might make your phone run really slow. Okay. So at that point, it is kind of pushing you to upgrade because you can't get any of the new stuff. You're going to have to get a new phone. That's why, generally speaking, phones have a life of about three to four years before you're going to end up needing to replace them just to stay on the latest version of the operating system and stay safe. So be sure to give us a call with your comments and questions, and you can email us before or during the show to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Ashley Jeffcoat, I'm Sharita Brent. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. Thanks for listening. Americans have a big decision to make on November 8th. A date which will live not in infamy. Mr. Gorbachev. We will keep this promise to the American people. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. This morning at 9 on Deep South Dining, football season is up and running, so we want to talk to you about your favorite foods for the tailgate. Do you like to fire up the grill at the stadium or prepare the dish at home? What type of dip do you like to bring to the tailgate party? Do you have a favorite sandwich or burger you'd like to prepare? Or do you have a special chicken wing recipe you want to share? Join us this morning at 9 for Deep South Dining with Deborah Hunter, only here on MPB Think Radio.
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Car safety seats are vital for traveling with babies and small children. But as a parent or guardian, how do you really know the seat is installed safely? Research shows as many as 75% of car safety seats in the U.S. are not used correctly. And motor vehicle crashes are one of the leading causes of death among children. Jennifer Pelkey, vehicle safety engineer at Toyota Motor Engineering and Manufacturing North America, tells us many first-time users of car safety seats are confused by the installation process. We have data that says that three out of four car seats are installed incorrectly. And, you know, we do know that it's not easy. I know as a mom of two boys myself, when I first went looking for a car seat for my oldest, I was kind of amazed by all the different styles and the different sizes and the different ways to install them. And But there are some common mistakes, mistakes that parents are making that, that we can fix. Uh, there is this program now, Buckle Up for Life. It's a, a joint venture between Toyota and Cincinnati Children's Hospital, and it's a national car seat education program that teaches children and families to be safe in cars, to get this missing data that they don't have so we can all start getting this right. You say that buying a new car seat is really important. Why is that? Why shouldn't you buy one at a garage sale or or just used online? Well, one of the big things about car seats is like a carton of milk, they expire. And the reason for that is over time, the car seats are exposed to a lot of varying conditions. Temperatures in the cars can get very, very hot, as we know, especially in the summertime. They can get very cold in the winter, especially in the northern states. And over time, those temperature changes can cause the materials to break down. So if you think of a lawn chair that's maybe been left out over the winter time, although maybe maybe not so much where you are, but though if you go to sit in it in the spring, then it might break on you. And so it's kind of similar with a car seat. Over time, one that's older may not perform as well as one that's new. Additionally, getting a hand-me-down seat, you may not know the history of that seat in full. So it's possible that that seat may have been in an accident previously, but you may not see any visual sign of it. However, if that car seat were then to be in another accident, it again may not protect protect a child as well as a new one would have. Is there a checklist that will tell you how to properly make sure your child is in that safety seat in a way that's going to protect them in case there's a collision? Yes, we offer a a lot of resources and information on our website, which is buckleupforlife.org. There, families and caregivers can receive um, tips and information. They can also view installation videos, um, and that is available uh, mobily so that while they're on the go, they can have access to it. On there, they can also get information as to where they can get a car seat technician to help them install their car seat and um, make sure that the car seat is correctly installed. When is it time to take a child out of a car seat and put them into a booster seat? Well, we know children are often eager to, you know, sit in the big kid's seat and be out of the car seat, but they should stay in a forward-facing seat with a harness until they reach the height or weight limit of that seat, preferably until at least age five or six. Then you can move them into a booster seat. So the booster seat is important because the vehicle seat belts are designed for adult bodies. So the booster seat gives them that little boost up that keeps the lap belt sitting where we want it, low and tight across their hip bones, and it keeps the shoulder strap uh, in the center of their shoulder not falling off the side, especially if they fall asleep or creeping up on their neck. But they need to stay in the rear seat and in that booster seat until they're at least four foot nine. Uh, but they need to stay away from that passenger airbag in the front until they're at least age 13. Jennifer Pelkey is the vehicle safety engineer at Toyota Motor Engineering and Manufacturing North America. Thank you so very much for being with us. Thank you. 
Coming up after Mississippi Edition, it's Deep South Dining. Now you're talking with Marshall Ramsey and Southern Remedy. And remember, if you want to catch the show outside the broadcast, just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you like. It's easy. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring Trustmark Deposit Express, ATMs for business and personal banking. No deposit slips, no envelopes, no waiting. Most deposits made by 9 p.m. weekdays are credited that day. Details at Trustmark.com, member FDIC. Soon, the U.S. will not be the master of domain names. I guarantee you there are governments that have been exercising whatever influence they can to stop the creation of .gay. I'm Kelly McEvers. Fear of foreign influence over the Internet's phone book and Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump prepared to debate later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio.